I V M. Hello and welcome. This is Govind Raj Jaiti Raj presenting to you the latest segment of Business Dot Next on Bloomberg Quint. My guest for today wrote a book called Fish about 18 years ago. It's about a place called the Pike Place, where fish is sold in Seattle, Washington, in the United States. 18 years have passed, but some of the principles, actually most of the principles of fish, continue to hold good, and corporations and individuals are still using it. And perhaps for many people, it would be a worthwhile effort to revisit some of these principles and try and understand what made fish the book a great success at the time it was written and how it might be useful today. My guest is Harry Paul, one of the co-authors of the book, and joins me now. Harry, thank you very much for speaking with us. Oh, my pleasure. Glad to be here today, Goldman. Right. So today we are going to talk in two parts, actually. So the first part we are going to focus on the culture of excellence, which leads to places like the Pike Place. So and and the idea is to understand what really creates a culture of excellence. How does a company become a place where there is a continuous culture of excellence, and how does one identify it? And uh, and then in a, in the second part we are going to talk about how do you create a culture of excellence if you are a manager, if you are a CEO. Or if you're someone uh, who's setting up a new enterprise, and perhaps these lessons can come in handy right at the beginning. So let's let's go, come to the first part, which is to say that how do you identify and how do you relate to a culture of excellence, and what is one to start with? Okay. Well, all companies need three things. They need a vision, a clear direction of where they're going. The second thing they need is a mission statement, how they are going to get there. And the third thing are values. Once they have them, those three things, then they start to look at their culture on how to attain those uh, uh, that vision and the mission using their values. So it's very important that they have the direction because once they have the direction, they can start looking at their culture to help them get there. Because my philosophy is, if you are not moving towards a culture of excellence. You are moving towards a cultural a culture of average, and that's scary. And what I think happens is some companies may attain that direction towards excellence, but when things start to slip, when they're not uh, focused on it, and they start moving towards average, their first reaction is denial. Uh, they don't believe it, and pretty soon. As they keep on denying that they're not moving towards excellence, they start accepting average as their culture, thinking that it's excellent. And then once that happens, bad thing happen, bad things happen, and your productivity and profitability uh, suffer. So you must have that vision, the mission, the values that go hand in hand with a culture that is always moving towards excellence. Because excellence is when people start coming to work and giving and being their best, and they right. cannot do that without. Right. So what you're saying is that if to identify a company that has a culture of excellence, you would first need to spot its vision, its mission, and its direction. I believe that if you look at innovative companies uh, over, let's just go back twenty years. You see how they start out and where they finish.、Uh, if I would use examples that companies that are、uh, global, it would be something like Amazon or Google 
or Starbucks, think about where they started. Amazon started as a book, online book retailer. Now they're the largest uh, e-retailer in the world where you can get anything at any time. They evolved because they had that vision. The same thing with the Starbucks, you know, that was the little oasis where you could have a cup of coffee and how they grew. Or Google started out as a search engine and there's so much more. So I think you need that vision to get to that culture of excellence. Right. So, Harry, if I may take you back a little bit about 18 years ago when you wrote the book, Fish, could you tell us and walk us, uh, particularly our listeners, uh, once again, what, 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 what inspired you to write this book about Pike Place and what was so distinctive about this fish market? Well, we looked at a bunch of guys working in an outdoor market selling fish who had excitement, who had energy, who had enthusiasm and fun for what they're doing. And you look at that, you go, wow, they're enjoying their work. How come so many other people are not enjoying their work? So when talking with the owner of the fish market and the fishmongers, we came to understand that they had a philosophy of four parts, four ingredients, if you will. One is they chose to be at work and uh, enjoy what they're doing. They chose their attitude. The second is they made it fun, not fun for the sake of having fun, but fun as part of the work process. And the third thing is they were very present. They understood their vision and their mission, and they lived it every day. And the fourth thing is they made an incredible, unique customer experience. So those four things allowed them to create a culture where they became world famous. So much so, they are now believed to be the most successful 1,200 square feet of retail space uh, in the United States by just focusing on an attitude, being present, having fun, and creating unique customer experiences. So that's pretty amazing. And when you think about it, any company can do that. And that's why the book and the philosophy has been so successful. Right. So as you said, it's a, it's a 1,200 square feet retail space. Now, the, the, there are obviously many questions which come, come to mind. One is that how do you replicate that? And is it even possible to replicate something like this across larger organizations, which could range anywhere from 50 people to 50,000 people across multiple locations? I absolutely believe it. You can because when you think about it, I, I, the book continues to sell well 18 years later. I continue to do lots and lots of presentations based on fish because when, think about if you take just one, two parts of the fish philosophy, choose your attitude. Could you imagine if everyone came to work and says, I get to come to work today. I make a difference. I like what I'm doing. And I understand what we're doing and how important it is what I am doing is. You put that into any size organization and you are ahead of the game and you are moving towards a culture of excellence. The fish market has a culture that they visit all the time. What is working? What needs to be enhanced? And when you have that culture and you understand why you go to work, you hire people that fit into your culture and can enhance your culture. And that way you start having sustained success instead of uh, short-term success. 
the fish market measures their success in decades, not like a lot of bigger, larger organizations that measure it in quarters. I think that's a big difference. And that's an interesting one, and I'll come back to that in a moment. So in your understanding or your experience, how have companies with strong cultures of excellence navigated bad times? We all have bad times, but if you have that focus and you set long-term goals, not goals for three months or six months, but goals for for uh, three years, five years, ten years, when you hit those little, let's call them speed bumps, that's all they are because you have this long-term vision of where you want to go so you know that these little setbacks are temporary. And also, most companies, or I would say all companies that thrive and grow uh, over time understand that whatever made them successful in the past can't and won't, won't make them successful in the future. They need that constant innovation. and. Innovation in one company drives innovation in other companies because of the competitive nature of organizations. And that's how you move a company along, having that long, long-term long goals instead of very short-term goals. So what are a couple of examples from your experience which uh, you know would illustrate to our listeners company, exa- companies which have, or which have used their culture of excellence to fight difficult times or navigate bad times? Okay, well... First of all, you know, the the fish market aside, when I look at companies here in the United States, because I have more experience there, uh, here, um, a company like Dunkin' Donuts, they grew in spite of the fact that Starbucks was doing much better than them in the early days. And then they changed their philosophy and they're growing astronomically. I think that's one example. Also, uh, in our uh, here, airlines are very, very competitive, and their first thought was to you know cut services, cut customer experience, and all that, and it kind of hurt them. But then you get airlines like Southwest Airlines and Alaska Airlines that focused on customer experience. That continue to grow and become the largest airline carriers uh, or some of the largest airline carriers by constantly paying attention. And it goes back to what I said earlier. You have your mission and your vision and your values that overlay with your culture. So you always know where you're going. And and wouldn't there be a temptation to shift gears or change direction when things go bad? And uh, how have companies managed that that phase in your experience again? Good question, because I, I think that the wiser companies, the companies that understand, know that there's an ebb and flow to all organizations. You can't have only up years. And what happens is those companies, when things are not going as well, they're thinking about the next steps, how to get from one place to the next. Even when they're doing well, they're thinking about, okay, what happens if uh, the economy goes in a different direction? What happens here? What happens there? They're always planning and looking ahead. They're never uh, complacent or thinking that the status quo is fine. They're constantly looking ahead. And that's why I think it's very important to set those long-term goals. 
Right. So most of these attributes about vision and mission and direction might be there in many companies, including successful ones, but not the one which which talks about fun. How how, how critical is that? And do all companies actually manage to do that effectively across large geographies? I, I think fun is more prevalent today because of the fish philosophy, because of that book than ever before, that they realized when people enjoy what they're doing, and, and they create a fun atmosphere, a playful atmosphere with the work process, not instead of. It's very, very important to understand the difference. Uh, fun becomes energetic. It becomes creative. It becomes enthusiastic. And it makes the workplace the place you want to be, where you wake up in the morning and say, I can't wait to go to work. I get to go to work. It's fun. And uh, my in the book, we have a saying, work made fun gets done. If you have something difficult that you have to do, add an element of fun to it, and it makes it easier to uh, accomplish your goals with it because of that energy that it brings. You look at a, a company like Google where fun is a big part of their culture. Yeah, and look at free a company food. like Zappos. Yeah. Fun and free food. Yeah, free food and chocolate always works. But you look at a company like Zappos, an online shoe retailer and clothing retailer, fun is a big aspect of their culture. And they continue to grow because they know it brings out that creativity in people. So when do companies lose this culture of excellence? You know, I mean, maybe things are going well and everything, everyone is holding on. And sometimes even when things are going well, you want to try something new. You feel that maybe the tenor of the organization needs to change. Employees need to think differently or work differently. Or maybe you've uh, you've been in a merger. There's been a clash of cultures. What happens then? You bring up a good point because a lot of companies merge or one company buys another company. And if the organizations don't uh, pay attention to the culture, then those mergers become uh, very difficult to handle. And the process of, uh, of getting the success from the merger is slowed down because it, it, culture could be the way people communicate. Culture could be the way people grow. Culture could be the way people take responsibility. Uh, and if they're not paid attention to, bad things can happen. When companies merge, they look at, they focus on the numbers. Does this make sense financially, economically, for us to uh, to, to merge or, or acquire this company? And the answer is the accountants do a great job because it's math, it's numbers, but they don't pay attention to that culture. And I think that's how organizations get in trouble when they're not paying attention to that. Right. Just to come back to that uh, fish example, and, uh, you know, I, I think it's clear or evident to uh, to me and perhaps people listening that it's clearly replicable in some kinds of organizations. Uh, is this, in your experience, replicable to most kinds of organizations, the fish principle? I believe so. And here's an example. When you look at the fish, the fish market, they throw fish because it's fun, because you know, one fishmonger throws the fish to another fishmonger. They yell what's happening with that fish, and everyone's getting a kick out of it, having some fun. Okay, that's very, very uh, 
That's part of the work process because it's efficient. They don't have to walk away from the customer. They throw the fish to somebody behind the counter. Well, you can't, let's take a healthcare. You can't expect nurses to throw things. But what can a nurse throw if we use that as a metaphor? Can't the nurse throw love and compassion and care for a patient? So their play might look very different than the fish market, but it'll have the same net effect on the customer or the patient. So the fun aspect has to work within the organization. Just like on airlines, safety comes first. That doesn't mean they can't have personalities. At a, at a coffee shop, uh, at a retail outlet, fun has to fit the other, uh, fun has to fit, let's call it their culture to make it work or else it becomes a huge distraction. And I think that's where uh, people can get uh, caught up in, in, in fun not working when they're not looking at it through the filter of the work process because it has to be part of the strategy. Right. Uh, we're running to the end of the segment. So one more question. What, what's the most unusual organization that you've addressed or tried to convey the principles of fish and perhaps actually seen them implementing it? Ooh. I'm going to answer that in two parts. Um, the first part is I did this for the Federal Bureau of Investigation in the uh, here in the United States, the FBI, and their culture is so regimented. My first thought was, why do they have me here? Since they can't, they're dictated how many pictures they can keep on their desk, or what kind of pictures of their family they can keep on their desk or what they can and can't do. Yet they thought it was important enough to try to bring parts of the fish philosophy into it, mainly around attitude of being present. So if the FBI can think that fish can work, we all can. The other, I would say, funeral directors. And you think, whoa, the fish philosophy, fun with funeral directors. But when you peel away what a funeral is, it's really a celebration of life. And when you talk about it as a celebration of life, it can be more uh, joyful and celebratory and playful. So those are two examples of organizations that you would think, no, it cannot work. It cannot make a difference. Yet they thought enough to have me. And it did make a difference. We don't know how long a lot of times it's last, but we know while we're there and the follow up that we do, we hear that it made some positive changes. That's that's wonderful and encouraging to hear, Harry. We've run out of time and we're going to come back in the next segment and talk about how to create a culture of excellence. How do you start? Where can you start? And is it too late to start sometimes? And all those questions with Harry Paul, the co-author of Fish. Don't forget to tune in on BloombergQuint.com or IBM podcast app for the latest edition of Business.Next podcast every week. Do you have a night routine? Well, everyone has one. And the to-do list usually looks like this. Brush your teeth, set that alarm, get into your pajamas and switch off those screens. But here's one more to add to that list. Tune into the Positively Unlimited podcast for a dose of positive action and tips on how to build powerful mindsets. Episodes out every Monday on the IBM Podcast app, ibmpodcast.com 
or wherever you tune into podcasts. Hi, my name is Anupam Gupta. I'm B50 on Twitter. I am the host of Paisa Paisa, a show that talks money. On my show, I speak to experts from every field of money and finance, from stock markets, equities, debt funds, credit cards, life insurance, every possible area of money and finance that you can think of. We even did an episode on cryptocurrency. I've got fantastic guests from mutual funds to personal finance experts everywhere. Robo advisory, startups, just name it. We've got it. At Paisa Paisa, we help you make smart decisions about money. You work hard for money. Now make your money work hard for you. New episodes out every Monday, and you can listen to my show on the IVM Podcast app or any other podcasting app that you have.